0: Mark your calendar! The 2022 DSO Connect Retreat will be June 24th through 26th in sunny Phoenix, Arizona. Join us for an inspiring weekend full of practical content that will help you take your studio to the next level, and you'll make lifelong connections with fellow studio owners. Spots are extremely limited to keep this event intimate, so go to DanceStudioOwnerConnect.com and click on the Retreat 2022 tab to sign up today. In the meantime, grab your copy of the 2021 retreat replay. Topics for this retreat include your studio dashboard using the five pillars of your business, budgeting, ways to wow your customers, killer sales process, early childhood classroom ideas, middle and high school classroom ideas, positive attitudes and magical words, transitioning to the helm, and how to set goals and actually follow through. Go to DanceStudioOwnerConnect.com and click on the Retreat Replay tab to grab your copy for just $1.99. And don't forget to sign up for the 2022 Retreat June 24th through 26th in Phoenix, Arizona. We can't wait to see you there. Hello, and welcome to the DSO Connect Podcast. I'm Casey. I'm Robin. And we have a very special guest today. We are joined by Suzanne Purchell. Hello. Welcome, Suzanne.
1: Well, hello. Thank you for having me. My highlight
0: of the day. I love it. Yeah. Yay. Thank you so much for joining us. We're excited to have you. Um, For our listeners, if you're not familiar, Suzanne has her own podcast called Point to Rise. Um, I'll read her bio in a second, but I've been listening to your podcast and it's just really been speaking to me. So I said, let me reach out to her and get her on my podcast. So um, yeah, Suzanne has quite a lot of insight and inspiration to offer. And so I just knew that we had to have you on for our listeners to get some of your good energy. So let me read your bio. Suzanne is the founder of Rise Media, a platform and community reinventing digital monetization strategies for the performing arts industry while laying the foundation for the largest metaverse for performing arts. That is exciting. I can't wait to, I have so many questions already. She is also a wellness entrepreneur, podcast host of the Point to Rise podcast, former international ballerina, mother of three beautiful sons, and experienced principal chief executive officer. Suzanne had the privilege to grow up behind the Iron Curtain in Berlin, Germany after working in corporate America and running her own businesses to building community among dancers and artists by providing mindset and high performance coaching. It is her mission now to put performing arts back on the front page and break through the starving artist mentality once and for all. So, yay.
1: I love all of that. (laughs) And it's so much. (laughs) Yeah, you think? Yeah, maybe. But um, I I don't know. I I was As we grow wiser, I think Mm -hmm. we also grow a little bit more confidence in we can either stay over here and and, and not be like always feeling that tuck in our soul, or Mm -hmm. we can overcome our fears and our limiting beliefs and step over here and say, no matter what it takes, I'm going to give it a shot. And I think that's not, I think I know that's where I'm at. Um, Mm -hmm. The pandemic has shown me or shown so many of us right where where the opportunities lie and and why wouldn't we start something why wouldn't we initiate the change that we wanted so badly when we were in that industry right so yeah that's what I
0: mean life is short and like life I've the, the thought that I've been having reoccurring lately is like life is short and legacies are long so like why wait to have an impact later on when you could do it now and have a greater impact,
1: you know? And why wait for somebody giving you permission or why wait for the title or why wait for something we, and I have done this and still am guilty of it at times until I catch myself, you know, when I'm there, then I can do this. If I have this, then I can do this. And that's a lie like a a blatant light that we put on ourselves, our ego gives us um, so we can stay safe and where we are at. So we want, you know, get in danger. However, Mm -hmm. um, it is so important to really, um, I would say, call ourselves out and say, I don't need to wait for permission. I can give myself permission. And today is the day. And we get that every single day, right? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Yes, I love that.
0: Um, So take us back to... Um, the beginning of your journey of like baby Suzanne and your dance life. So tell us about, you know, your dance experience growing up in Berlin and how you got to where you're at now.
1: Well, um, I knew the moment I could like remember way back. And I remember being two years old that all I ever wanted was to dance. Like I saw myself on stage. I would dream about it. I would, um, twirl around and learn steps and, and put like point shoes on that were like 10 feet too big just because I wanted it. And my parents grew so tired of me asking consistently that, um, they then put me into ballet classes at four. You had to be four. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how I started in East Germany, you know, and, uh, late 70s. And um, yeah, always had the talent, always had the body, more or less, whatever we needed back then, for being, you know, seen as talented enough to make it. Um, And I enrolled in this, I was accepted in this elite ballet school, which I had to leave home from. So now let's not forget, it was the communist part of Germany, right? Mm -hmm. I didn't have to pay for schooling. But it also brought in that they had the power to decide who's going to stay and who's going to go, so I was one of like 150 that was enrolled that year, and we were 30. I think we ended with like 12. Oh my gosh! After eight years um, of education and good Russian training, wow. um, which was six days a week, yeah. So it was it, it was a really um, teaching time, it was harsh on my body, it was harsh on my soul.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and I didn't know it back then because it didn't matter. I just, I gave it all. I gave it the weighing in once a week. I gave it the um, judgment, the disrespect, the, the bullying, it didn't matter to me. I just wanted to get to having that contract for the stage opera. And I got it mm-hmm. when I was 18, which is nice. wow. fell literally in my lap. Um, And I could feel when I started there that I didn't function without somebody telling me what to do. Mm. And that resulted in not showing up for rehearsals. Like I've been, I had been given all the opportunities to really rise to like the top. And I manipulated myself because I had this belief, thank you to these eight years, that I wasn't good enough, that I'm never gonna make it because there's something wrong with me. Mm. Um, So I started... Manipulating, smoking, drinking, um, really manipulative relationships, um, abusive relationships. And that took my energy away from the focus where I actually had worked my way towards. Um, and I would say after seven years, I had the courage to say, you know what, I I need to step away. And I followed my boyfriend who moved to the States, got a contract in a small company, and I learned there how good and how well we were looked after in Europe as artists, like what yeah. privileges we had. Got my point shoes, no matter how many I wanted. I had my own point shoe maker. I had my makeup artist. Somebody made my hair. I could have like short hair. They made me a wig. All of these things that. I have not seen here yet um, in North America. So really privileged. And I think that to, to make this shorter, um, the two years that I spent in American companies dancing was a catalyst for my entire like mindset and system for all four of my bodies to break down completely because enough was enough. I had put enough stress and um, anxiety and fear and triggers on it for, for my subconscious to really say, okay, you got to deal with this. Um, and that's how I, how I left my career from one day to another. Wow. Sounds like
0: you were able to like, I guess, well, my question is at what point in that journey were you able to look back and identify the, I guess, toxicness of the environment that created or, um, initiated some of those negative things in you
1: i can tell you the the exact moment it was um, march 2nd 2018 wow that in a um event first event i ever went to like self-development 500 other women in there and it like everything just fell off it's like oh my gosh, this is why I never could. This is why I was so fearful. This is where the anxiety came from. This Mm -hmm. is where the eating disorders came from. This is how I manipulated it. It was like a wave of aha and regret at the same time because um, I was like, why did nobody, why did we never talk about this? Like as dancers, we're dancers, right? Like we have to function in some way or another but nobody tells us how to.
0: Mm -hmm. except
1: you have to be harder on yourself you have to be disciplined you have you have to have to have to have to but we're never looking at the other side that is like our spiritual side our emotional side how we're filling our cup up there is so much more to us than our physical body so that was that moment you know where I was just like oh wow and I think that's where I decided oh I I need to do something That's where I got my courage back and and my passion, I would say also, to step back into this field that had caused me so much pain and that I had not quite forgiven yet or Mm -hmm. made friends with again, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So when
2: you came to the United States, were you dancing here or was that kind of the end of your dance? No, you did dance here. Yes,
1: I did. Yeah. For two years. Okay. 1999. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And so then you stopped dancing and then it was many years later that you came to this realization about yourself when you were at that seminar. Okay.
0: So what were you doing in the
1: interim? You left dance okay, and do then... Okay, you want to go into that? Okay. Yeah, uh, let's hear it. Okay. <laughs> well, when I left, so I was at OBT. That's when I cracked wide open. I couldn't mm-hmm. do it anymore. Um... And I I don't know what took over, but um, I said, okay, I I need to do something about this. I can't believe these dancers are being treated this way. And I got to do something. So I started a company in in Charleston, South Carolina, and that after a year, two years, went belly up. And that was really, I was 30, not even 30 at that point. And that was Mm -hmm. a hard fail to take, because it wasn't just me and my husband. It wasn't our $850,000 that put us in the hole. It was my, not only my house and my car that I had to leave behind or my right to live in the United States. It was all the people that came and believed. And that was that shame I carried for a very, very long time. Mm-hmm. I actually was not even aware of it. I was able to release it um, about a year and a half ago. Wow. Um, but there was a lot of shame in there. So that's, that, that happened, um, and it came from a good place. Um, but, and, and yeah. you said you started a company, was this a dance company or a studio? Yeah, or? yeah. but mm-hmm. ballet company for 32 dancers, um, wow. we figured out how to make it actually, uh, profitable in wow. the first year. So we only would have to take an investment in, and we'd be able to actually offer dividends. Right. And really structured as a business and not as an for profit. Um, and mind you, I had we had no business knowledge whatsoever. I just knew it's possible. Yeah, and it, it was possible. Like the numbers actually added up. Um, however, that kind of like that gut punch. It took quite some time to get over. We went to Australia. Um, and I have to say that our first son, who's turning 18 this year, was our saving grace in terms of mm. focus. You know, there was no time for pitying. Um, right. We tried to get pregnant prior, and it never really happened. And and within like a month of shutting down every operation and, and leaving the states, I was I became pregnant, or we became pregnant. Um, and so he was such a God given gift to to get us not get us but not even let us dive into the hole of victimhood and and pain mm. um and pity perhaps I I I sometimes like to relish in there um which my nature <laughs> or was my nature um and yeah lived in Germany for a few years um and then came here to Canada because I knew when I was 13 that is not my place and I knew it was a good place to give birth to my son and not necessarily needing a job uh, to live. But then after a year, I'm like, I can't do this anymore. It's just not my country, it's not my mindset, no. So we went um, and moved to Canada and have been here ever since. I worked for Corporate America, climbed the ladder. I knew how to do that. I knew how to please people and to do what I've been told to do, you know, and and follow the steps. I was really good at that. And I developed a a really deep love for for business and for leadership. Mm. Um, It was very intriguing to me to dive further into like the Simon Sinek's and, and the Tony Robbins and understanding their teachings and where they came from and how they develop what they're teaching right now was always intriguing to me. Um, But yet again, I didn't fit that corporate box. I didn't do things how they wanted me to do it. As soon as I felt more confident, um, I stepped outside of my box and I started to be be creative in terms of generating revenue and that didn't fit the corporate structure. So I said, you know what, guys, no harm, no foul. I'm going to go. And I started my own company, um, it was in the Airbnb business and we scaled really fast, like within two years, we had seven figures, um, accumulated in, in, in um, yearly revenue. Wow. But you know what? I couldn't like, oh, I hadn't done the work on me yet. I hadn't healed yet. I started again, people pleasing, working like 60 hours a week, actually more. We worked seven days, a seven days a week, 12, 13 hours a day. It's like this is not my life like I don't want to live like that so when the pandemic hit and nobody was able to travel I was like oh my gosh did you listen to me thank you because that email that we're suspending further services or until further notice was sent out so quickly and it felt so light for me because I had been playing with the idea I'm starting to coach dancers for a year um, that was my permission. I literally just received this big piece of paper saying it's your time. Now do something about it. Yeah. That's beautiful.
0: And so what is your, what is your coaching with dancers and other performing artists? What does that look like now?
1: Hmm, okay. So right now I'm actually not coaching at all because I'm doing okay. rise, which is, mm-hmm. um, coaching me mostly. <laughs> <laughs> That's a full-time job, believe me. Um, <laughs> uh, so I started just with building a community, really. Um, the PointerS community has almost a thousand members in it. And um, we really just started with, you know, talking with what it's what's going on, what I learned, what what I want to give them and and have them understand that. Just because the industry says you have to be a certain way doesn't mean that you really truly have to be. You can Mm -hmm. choose. We always have the choice. We create whatever we want to see. Not somebody else has that power over us. Um, That's how we started. And I found really quickly that there's more in the industry that that I'm going to say needs help with. But it was more for me, okay, there's more that you can do. There's more that... There's more here for you. Um, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it because I doubted myself, or still, d- we all doubt ourselves, right? Like, oh, please yeah. not, like, Oh, yes. day- <laughs> yeah, Constantly. Okay. All right, sisters. Let's <laughs> cut this straight. Um, that I couldn't see the solution. And my coach at that time said, Listen, why don't you just create something that is a little bit more for everybody in that industry? That, you know, the, the, the entire dance industry is not quite into self-development yet. Like there, Mm -hmm. we see like sparks every now and then it just didn't match what I was wanting to create in terms of, um, actually creating a foundation or like an incubator for performing artists, um, so that they don't really need to, if they don't want to become teachers if that's not their zone of genius, right? Like mm-hmm. one of the reasons um, we're talking is because we're seeing teachers in studios that m- maybe it's not their zone of genius or it's not their why, but they're doing it because they think they can't do anything else. Yes, right? Just because we've been dancers doesn't mean that we can be great teachers. Just because we've been a principal dancer doesn't mean we're a great director. We're starting over again, right? Yeah. Um, And I I wanted to build something that that gives people that are stepping out of it the the option to create something they want to create Mm -hmm. in their life that doesn't Mm -hmm. necessarily depend on Um, their past skills. So in order to do that, it's like you have to build actually a bigger company. And what what was first thought as like a membership program media company turned into this bigger vision with Web3 arising um, and the technical possibility is that, gosh, the creator economy is booming. It is one of the fastest growing economies. It's $104 billion just in twenty twenty one. Okay. Wow. It's increasing by 12% every year uh, for now, for now. And it's for now like, right to grow like exponentially. Now performing artists are the original creator community in my yes. opinion, really, truly. So what are we doing for them? Why are we telling them that the only way you can serve the bigger picture is by being on stage? No, that's not true. You can also convert your creativity into money like if you really think that you don't deserve to make money because you're creative let's let's stop that story let's interfere right here because it's possible and then by the way let's look at Instagram Facebook TikTok how they are making their money oh they're selling our data well let's not do that because at least not if you don't have a say at least not if you can't take 50 percent of the or 80%, that's my goal. See if we can make the numbers work. That creators for their content, for anything that they're putting onto our platform, they actually get 80% off. And that's if not great. more of what they're actually making and not wow. their 0.02 cents for a thousand views, right? Yeah. Um, yes. And I know I'm, I'm tackling a big like football here, but I really don't care. N- not really don't care. I really am over the belief that we can't do it just because we haven't done it before. So
0: what kind of things are you seeing from the people in your group and your clients that they are creating as, as like, I guess, retired performers who are transitioning their passion for the arts into a different kind of monetized journey?
1: Do you, do you mean like what jobs are they taking? Yeah. Yeah. Like what are they creating? What jobs are they doing? I see a lot of people opening up their own studios or Mm -hmm. um, teach or being like rehearsal assistants or staying in their field. That's what I'm seeing. And um, many people are still trading their time for money, which there's nothing wrong with that. Mm -hmm. And they're, so here, schools, I have a, lots of, uh, a lot of dancers that that have open schools, but they don't know quite yet how to turn them actually profitable, meaning they're taking in donations. I'm like, but you're running a business. You're not a nonprofit. So I don't understand. Well, we're spending more money than we're taking in. So yeah, that's the problem. Yes, that is <laughs> the <It's a> problem. <laughs> so. But we're not willing to take the leap, meaning, okay, so boys don't have to pay. Um, That's why we're taking in sponsorships. So, you know, we get the money for for them attending. Why do boys not have to pay? Like, I I don't under, like, there's so many little things that from a business standpoint just don't make sense. Don't make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm sure you are seeing that in, in what you are doing yes where there is so much fear of that people won't come or the the people pleasing like i have to shrink myself in order to and to attract people or have people come where i i think that that's the wrong energy that we're putting out like what we're thinking is what we're creating right like if we're living in fear we're creating more fear if we're Living in lag, we're creating more lag. And if we were just to reverse engineer this and really look at, okay, how can the arts be a profitable business? I think we would come up with so many crazy ideas. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know you're fine. A lot, fine. Of, a I lot of people go back to like teaching and, mm-hmm. and yoga and um, sometimes architecture because it's creative.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Very cool. So let's talk about um you do a lot of work and talk a lot in your podcast about growth mindset. Um so tell us more about what that means and you know what what that's in opposition to and how that can benefit our dancers.
1: Okay so that, that is like four questions in one. Yeah sorry. <laughs> Hard to keep up like <laughs> over 40 years this is not going to you may have to remind me. Right, okay. Well, we can start with what a growth mindset and a fixed mindset is, because mm-hmm. that's these are the two mindset um, structures that have been identified by Carol Dweck. And if I haven't, if you haven't read that book yet, that's certainly something that I would recommend to anybody, regardless of what you're doing in your life. It's eye-opening and fantastic. And what's the book? What's the book called? Uh, mindset. Just mindset. That's what it's called. It's in my, on my shelf. I just can't see it right. Yeah. Mindset by Carol Dweck. Great. Okay. Thank you. We'll add that to the show notes. Yes. Um, Okay. So a fixed mindset is basically you've been given certain gifts in, in, in your body and you can't change them. Meaning you're not You're not capable of learning something or, or stepping outside of what you have been doing before. You're just there to do whatever you have been doing over and over and over again. This is a very um, freely um, exposition of what a fixed mindset is. It's just for me that what it feels like is like you're this person and you never will change. You never Mm. will do anything or think anything else or believe anything else.
0: And your skills are set, and your your talents are set, and your knowledge is set, and you can't go outside of that realm. Beautiful, thank you. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, I see that a lot in dancers who say things like, "Oh, I'm just not a good jumper." Well, okay, but we, uh, you're, it's not your strong point right now. But let's work on it. Let's figure out what we need to adjust what exercises we need to be working on to get that petite allegro a little bit, you know, sharper and and faster and higher, you know, like, or I'm just not good at turns. Okay. I'm just not flexible. Like, okay. You have certain physical limitations that your anatomy has set for you. And that's realistic to understand, but at the same time, there's always work to be done.
1: And especially when we're, when we are in this set mindset of, I can't, Mm-hmm. That is exactly the reason why we can't, because we don't right. believe that we can. And with that, we're so in our own way, it won't happen. We won't even be able to see the path towards the higher mm-hmm. jump, the faster PTLA grow, the more turns, right? Mm-hmm. Where the growth mindset has absolutely no limitations, meaning that I can learn anything, I can acquire any skill that I set my mind to. Um, I can achieve what I believe in without any kind of limitations. So that's for me, a growth mindset. And mm-hmm. I have to say that I spent most of my teaching, my, my time as a dancer, even as a mother or as a corporate leader, a little, mostly in a fixed mindset, um, structure simply because. I didn't even know that there's another way. I had a feeling I had an inkling like that. "Mm." You know, the knowing that, you know, in your gut that there is more, however, it's not tangible. You have no proof for it yet. Um, I knew that I could do anything I wanted to. And I heard over and over again that I can't because of A, B and Z. Mm hmm. Um, and I think that is, so I'm gonna go a little bit further out. I believe that nothing has really changed in the dance world, in the ballet world and companies and schools, how we're teaching, how we're um, leading, how we're having corporate structure in the entire arts industry is because we have this fixed mindset of, it has always worked this way, and it was always worked this way. And we have never yet had the courage to ask, well, what if? What mm. if it doesn't go this way for longer? I mean, the, the, in 2020, the performing arts industry in the entire world has lost $750 billion in revenue.
0: That's wow. direct
1: revenue. And we're not talking about the people that were laid off and lost their jobs and their income through this, okay? That was just 2020. Like we're looking at the performing arts as this. Please give us, we're, we're just over here. We're just here to perform. We have a really big ego, but, <laughs> but we just want your money so we can do arts. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we haven't dropped in yet and understood how powerful this industry is. And when we're talking about the industry altogether, look at the leadership, you know, and on, on. on when we're talking about power, and let's look at at the individuals, like how we do one thing is how we do everything. We're in a very powerless state when it comes to the performing arts. And I think the reason for that is because we're in that fixed mindset state because it has to be this way. What did everybody do during the pandemic? Oh, somebody's posting on YouTube. Somebody's um opening Zoom classes. Okay, let's all do this. Mm-hmm. Did anybody go back to like their root and say, "Hey, why are we here? How can we further our dancers? How can we not furlough them? How can we not have them move out of the cities and and um, like lose what was significant for them, their livelihoods? How can we help them and not employ a few people that are on administrative payroll? But how can we help?" our artists, like the core of our institution. Has anybody done that? Has anybody started, okay, let's build a community, not, oh, audiences, sorry, we're just, we're gonna try giving you your money back, but we actually don't have it. So if you wanna give that as a donation, thank you so much. Um, (laughs) Right. But have we started building a community, some, like a huge amount of people that will, you know, die with us or or be here no matter what, because that is the way we're actually making or going to make an impact in the world. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where going back to growth and fixed mindset, that's where the we're here, people are going to come and see us no matter what. I love that. Robin, do you have any questions? I see you taking notes over there.
2: No, I'm soaking all this in. I'm trying to really wrap my head around um, what your organization does um, specifically.
1: Yeah, sure. Okay, so let me let me back up so I can um, get into it and, and make it as easy understandable because it can be come across really complex, particularly if you're not in like a, the tech space, which I'm also not. I am learning every day, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, so... I have always asked myself the question, why do arts organizations, why do they need to take in money from outside sources? Why are they not even thinking of breaking even? Or what? Where where is the disconnect here? And the first pillar that I'm seeing is that arts organization, Bali companies, orchestras, wherever you go, they have one stream of income. And that one stream of income comes through performances okay in person events and when we're taking that that makes an organization very vulnerable already meaning you're if that goes away you're what are you going to do you know there's no other way you make money meaning your livelihood your existence goes away in a, in a heartbeat and I think March 11th or 16th or whenever that was for everybody was the day where that was taken away and we're seeing it over and over and over again happening still now. Um, and I just asked myself, what the? Hell? Why, why? Like what do what kind of other assets do arts organization have that they could monetize and with the creator community really like rising to such a top, level a top earning capacity it was for me okay what can we create like what other business model actually exists and how can we put this into an app actually and how can we take advantage of decentralization um, so that we don't have the fear that people are going to take our content away and make money with it you know or choreography or whatever that is so where i am at right now and these, like we're still in the process of fine tuning we're, we're just going to be launching um in a two months i i believe um a beta version of the entire product so it is it is a stage an app whatever, a platform where people can come in as creators post their content it's got to be exclusive for at least 24 hours they can bring their community over and we have figured out a way that the community them visiting is actually generating revenue. Okay, that's one way. They can turn their their content into NFTs, which is, I know it's a big thing right now. However, um, I see that is like a huge opportunity for actually really creating community around artists and performing arts all together. Hmm. And and it's NFTs. Okay, this is, okay. Can, can I put a pin in that? And then I'll answer your question what an NFT is. Um, and like really taking what has been practiced on YouTube and Instagram into, okay, how can we actually make this something that is in the creators um, more in their hands so they're owning their content versus the platform owning everything and having like the the 90% of the revenue and the creator gets 10 because then we're just the same you know we're, we're 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 perpetuating what is being out there not only in arts organizations but also what's being done on on social media platforms so that's, that's one aspect. So making it possible for them to earn money through the content that they're already putting onto Instagram, we're gonna help them do that if they so wish so. We're going to give um, performing arts organization that same opportunity to use the content and they have so much content, schools, um, teachers, whoever has content that they're currently not monetizing, it's possible to do so. And to help other people right and even if it's just I mean tell me 300 extra dollars a month I wouldn't mind like I'm saying I'll, like, I'll take it <laughs> I'll invest it right away like okay great fantastic um so that's that's the nut of it and we're gonna have a whole membership side where where anything and everything you want in education um is there for you um we're gonna have some A class coaches and then whoever whoever else is serving the performing arts community in terms of coaching, um, communities has a place there and they can monetize the audience if they so wish so. I love that. That's so cool. Okay. NFT. Yes. Okay. Why don't you talk? Well, I, I don't want to mess <laughs> up. So I am going to poll the actual, um, i feel like
0: nfts have like been in the news lately and i like very loosely understand
1: you know what i what we it is loosely also just understand but let's, yeah it is any so how many instagram posts do you do a day or a week or a month yeah plenty Plenty. <laughs> okay plenty yeah yeah so that that's a picture or and it just sits there right Mm-hmm. You can put this So an NFT is a non-fungible token, which is non-interchangeable, meaning that whenever it is being, sometimes people repost, right? Or mm-hmm. take your content and repost it and give you credit. Now with NFTs, every time that somebody else uses this or buys it from you, you get royalty. It lives on a blockchain, which is decentralized, meaning no... It's, it's just there, right there. Nobody else has ownership of it unless you have the certificate of ownership. Um, and that's how you can trade. You know how we used to, I don't know. I have three boys, Pokemon cards. Oh, like yes. In my house still to this day, um, how we trade them or baseball cards. Mm-hmm. That's what we're doing with these NFTs, only that they live on a digital platform, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Which then opens up so much more. You can turn tickets for shows into NFTs and you can attach certain rewards to it, meaning, you know, why don't you come hang out behind the stage or and then people can start trading. Um, you can attach coaching to it, you can attach two, two minutes with your favorite performer or a, a lesson or, or, or attach value to these tickets and people will start trading it. Mark Cuban actually just ran that example with oh gosh he he owns a baseball team i think. And he talked basketball to- team? Basketball, basketball yeah. team? Sports. This worth- <laughs> Thank you. Basketball is that? Yeah. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um Yeah, and so he talked to Ticketmaster and they had attached NFTs to it and they started trading, generated so much revenue from that. Wow. Created a way bigger following. Um, Australian Opens. You know what they did? Because nobody can travel into Australia right now. And they didn't want to either skip this you know, lifetime sports event, nor did they want it to be absent from the community that they already had built around this event. Um, they put it in the metaverse and just expanded it so much that you can be part of any game because you, you don't have to attend it when it's running. You can just enter it at any given point when you're ready. Um, You can have certain, you can buy yourself in with a private session with one of the players, like they got so creative on what they can create that so many more people are actually attending. And I have not looked into any kind of numbers and I don't think they're running it yet, but I I am very intrigued to see what they actually physically had taken in from that. Like if they broke even because they had to you have to lay out some some money in the beginning right to build the metaverse to hire the people who will make sure that all of this is going to run smoothly in right. some way or another but yeah so
0: that's a lot of information to take in <laughs> <laughs> no that's great that's great it sounds very complex and very intriguing I like it so I'm a little bit of, I'm a little bit afraid of the metaverse
2: why is that Um, I'm afraid that people will go in the metaverse and not come out like my, I don't know, um, people who have like real addictions to gaming or people who just have an aversion to real life or who who struggle with, um, like a social anxiety, or I, I just feel like it could be an escape that people don't come back out of.
1: Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you know what? It's possible. But then what have we not, but and what have we created to this day that, you know, people escape into, for example, um, alcohol, relationships, Netflix? Um, there's so much. I understand that that yet is another part. Um, however, and I'm going to say but here, that it it is our responsibility to manage that. It is our to, responsibility to heal and be um, really aware of what the danger potentially could be. And what are the great things about it? If I could go to the Paris Opera without leaving my house and wearing a Versace dress, fine. I do that every night. Seriously. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it is our responsibility and yes, we have to adjust like even with social media, right? It is such a, such a big thing where we have to be very conscious about um, how much time are we spending on it? Because it creates a certain um, hormonal output that, you know, we can get addicted to. So yeah, those dopamine hits are real. (laughs) Seriously real and how quickly our body gets addicted to it. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I totally hear you. And I think that was one of my first um, reactions to, oh my gosh, we're already in virtual reality. Like what is going on that's going too fast? That's where we're going. And it doesn't mean that we can only serve communities from that perspective. You know, We can use it as a tool to broaden our reach. Mm. One of the reasons why performing arts organizations only make a certain amount of money is because they only they have limit themselves to a certain reach. Like when you put on a performance, you only have a certain amount of of seats available. And sometimes that doesn't even cover your overhead. So I, I think it's our responsibility to figure out how can we broaden that reach so we would actually take in more.
2: Yeah, I mean, that makes sense from a business perspective because I mean, musical artists, especially in like the pop genres, they reach so many more people than classical dancers mm-hmm. because they're on the radio or you buy their CDs or whatever it is during whatever decade. But they have such a broader reach um, than you know those who are expecting their audience to show up in a live venue. Um, I don't I tend to not want to, I love live performance. I love people. I love being around people. And I just, I just don't want to see that go away. And I, I know you say, um, well, this is where we're going. This, and yes, the world is going in this direction. And I'm, my heart is a little resistant to it because I think that it's so easy, especially right now, where it's like, oh, well, you know, you're safe at home. You don't have to go and live in the real world. You can just live in the metaverse and you'll never get a virus. But
1: that's that's happening.
2: Oh, yeah. People don't want to go places. (laughs) There are people who are not wanting to go out into the world because they are feeling very cocooned in their safe little, you know, home. Um. Yeah. So I don't know that's kind of a different topic,
1: but I'm, I'm intrigued. Can I just, just Mm -hmm. say one thing. I, I think digitalizing performing arts does mean we cannot put on live performances. I think live performance will always be the way you can truly experience the art form that you're passionate about. And not everybody, like let's, let's look and how are we gonna build future audiences? Like how are we gonna reach them? There's 7.8 billion people on this planet and not even 1% is aware that they're performing arts out there, okay? So how what are we doing to bring it to them so they understand? And, and for most people buying a $100 ticket is not, not in their availability at this moment. So what are we doing as the art form, as that industry to broaden our reach? It doesn't mean that we're not putting on live performances. It doesn't mean that we're not going there. We're just adding other services. We're building more streams of revenue, right? And that is really all what I'm getting at. One thing doesn't mean we have to stop the other thing. And I think we've like kind of, explored that a
0: little bit Robin you and I and, and in DSO connect with like virtual classes and pre-recorded classes and hybrid classes and all of those sorts of things. so I think it's like you know we're 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 kind of on board with that
1: whole idea a little bit <laughs> you are totally not kind of you are on board totally
0: yeah yeah for sure um, let's talk about in the classroom with our students, um, you know, that that real life connection between educator and artist, even if it's a three-year-old artist, they're still little they're little artists. Um, and how do we teach in a way that inspires a growth mindset and eliminates some of, of that um toxicity that so many of us have experienced growing up in the dance world?
1: Mm shivers all over me. Um, So I I would start with actually being aware that this is what's going on, that Mm -hmm. the way we have been taught is not necessarily the way that brought the best results and is the way that we need to teach the next generation of artists. Um, And then really recognizing where am I at? Like what kind of language am I using in my head to myself? Like where, where am I at with my own forgiveness from what I've been through? How aware am I around what's triggering me? Um, how, how much self-love do I have? How much worth do I have for me? And how can I grow that into that next generation? I think that's the start. Mm. If we, if we keep hurting, are we going to keep hurting other people? And I think the work starts with ourselves and in healing ourselves and and getting rid of the trauma that we have, not getting rid of, but becoming aware of it and releasing it to the point where we can teach with love and excitement and um, ah, motivation and inspiration versus saying, you know, coming from a place of that, that represents lack and fear and you are not good enough. I don't know mm-hmm. how many times I've heard that in my journey. Like to the point that I still believe at times that I'm not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that we place so much
0: value on external validation in dance um to where like you know you the the student wants the attention and the recognition from the instructor, from the educator and you know because we all we all want that we all want recognition and 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 validation but so many times it's it's in what to fix about yourself and not what you're doing well or what you're accomplishing or what you have accomplished and so i feel like um we need to be able to teach our students how to recognize those accomplishments themselves rather than someone else telling them all the time, if that makes sense. Oh
1: my God. Yes, please. I mean, <laughs> that starts with, with self-love and self-acceptance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's so many tools that you can bring into the studio that um, would help this kind of mindset to actually blossom and to take into um, their next stages of lives. Like, I don't ever remember that we talked about, um, okay, what did I do great today? Mm -hmm. or what, or even the permission to fail. Right. You know, I mean, how many times were you uh, talking to myself, but how many times do we call out? How many times were we called out for like falling down or not doing something right? Or you gained like a pound or, you know, pointing our fingers to the things that are not going right and not giving them like putting shame on them Mm -hmm. for not knowing what is to do next or how to feel next. Um, And I think that that would be another great tool. Hey, what didn't go great today? Like, what was it? Tell me. And like, make it a, make it something acceptable that we are human beings and we only learn. Well, that starts with like this whole perfect mindset thing, right? Like you have to be perfect, which then automatically cuts you off from, from your permission to learn. Like, if mm. we're not learning, we're not evolving. But if you have to be perfect, then how are you going to get there if you're not evolving? Yes. You know, yeah. there, there is so much in there that that I see the opportunity in reframing and actually having conversations with the students versus telling them what to do. Like, make it a conversation between educator and artist, and not a versation where the educator stands there and tells them, No, you didn't do that, right? No, nope, no, nope, this is the combination. Why are we making it a collaboration? Mm-hmm. Now I understand that we have to gain a lot of discipline, and that sometimes has to happen for somebody telling you what to do, but without forgetting that everybody is their own person, their own agency, and nobody knows you as well as you do. And the earlier we can teach any kind of high-performing habits, mindset coaching, understanding that it's not just our body that we're in existence, but there are three other bodies. And if we're not in alignment, then we're not going to become the very best self that we can actually. We will always feel like torn. We always um, want to try to manipulate ourselves. So we're not going up where we could actually go towards to. So it's having conversations, knowledge, knowledge that all of these things matter, right? Mm-hmm. Let's think about how often we just, you just got to train your body. Like you're not doing enough sit-ups or I, I think you should like work on that variation in another two hours because it's still not there. But most of the time it has nothing to do with the physical ability, but everything to do with your emotional, spiritual, and, um, hang on. I just learned this too. Spiritual, emotional, and energetic body. Like, Mm. what are we actually, you know, putting in, what are we creating in here? Like, if I'm fearful that I'm going to fall, how am I going to show up? You know, right. Yeah. So
0: I see a lot, so many students, especially teenagers who are so afraid to make mistakes that they don't push themselves past their comfort zone, but that's where the learning and the growth happens. And so we have to make sure that the dance studio is a safe enough space for all of our students that they feel safe to fail
1: so that they can push themselves past that point of failure, you know? Yeah. I love that. I think Even understanding what's happening. And even for like a 15 year old to understand, Mm -hmm. Hey, the reason why you don't want to fail is because you don't want to embarrass yourself. Like this is, this is what's happening with you. And let's work through this. This is a safe space. I will never tell you that you're not worthy. I will never point my finger at you and laugh because when we identify what the biggest fear is, then we can also work through that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we're not talking about it, which just, why are you not doing this? That's the conversation that I'm hearing a lot.
2: But our whole, our whole goal in teaching children to be dancers is to prepare them to be on stage where they're going to have to please an audience, right? Mm-hmm. So I feel like we... I mean, we want the the audience to applaud. We want the audience to, you know, come back and buy another ticket. And, you know, in today's world, we want um, the audience to follow the dance company on Instagram or, you know what I mean? Like continue to buy into what's being presented on stage. So do you think that um, by... I mean, you you talk about like uh, making the classroom more of a conversational, you know, like let's talk about all the things you did great. Well, I don't, I'm I'm wondering, are we setting our dancers up, a generation of dancers up to not be able to reach a, a certain high level of performance because they get out on stage and they're like, well, I didn't get enough applause, but why didn't the audience just applaud for the things I did do right? And you know what I mean? Like I'm just playing devil's advocate here. Are we, by lowering the bar, are we gonna be, are we gonna see a different level of performer or athlete or artist?
1: Question, what do you mean with when we're lowering the bar?
2: I'm sorry, I I shouldn't have said lowering the bar. No, 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 I just
1: wanna understand because I I don't see expending teaching, wrongs as lowering the bar i shouldn't have used that that okay i I retract that i guess (laughs)
2: what i'm saying is um you know you had when you were growing up and you talked to us about the training that you received as a young person that did probably a lot of emotional damage to you and i'm not saying that that is a good thing at all but did it produce a high caliber performer And you.
1: Great question. And I think that's the, the tuck and pull. Um, did it perform a high performer for a certain amount of time that my body and my soul were able to uphold that? Okay. But I was broken inside.
2: Mm -hmm. Uh, and
1: I'm not advocating for breaking people
2: at all, but I'm, and I'm simply asking the question is if we don't and maybe this needs to happen. I mean, even like in Olympic sports or whatever. But if you stop, because we hear stories about um, coaches, you know, pushing too hard and pushing young people to the brink of, you know, breaking. And and I'm not advocating for that at all. My question is simply: if we stop, if we make a change, will the unintended consequence be that the caliber of performance or the caliber of athletic performance, will that suffer? Can you be kind to the student and preserve their emotional and spiritual and ener- energy be- parts of their being and still produce this high end um,
0: result? So I'm, I'm not, ch- I'm simply asking a question. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a great question because we so, so many times we see as studio owners and we're looking at dance studios, you know, on Instagram, we're comparing ourselves to other programs or whatever. And it's like, okay, well, well, this studio has amazing dancers, um, but they're kind of broken or they're too strict or they're, you know, they, they body shame them or, or whatever. Okay. This studio over here has like a very, you know, a softer, more empowering approach, but their dancers aren't quite as strong. So like, how do we, how do we pair those two ideas of like still offering high caliber training, but doing it in a way that is inspiring a growth mindset and not toxic to our students. And I think exactly what I was trying to say. Thank you. Yes, (laughs) you're welcome. I think it's possible. I think it is. And I think it's, I think it's, definitely a shift in our industry that we need to make. Um, I mean, personally, I would rather have less technically talented dancers who are not broken on the inside. <laughs> and I'm not trying to say that, you know, anybody's dancers are broken, certainly, but I, you know, like I, I've had this conversation with myself a lot recently where like, what am I doing? What is, what is the point of my dance studio? Like, why am I You know, breaking myself sometimes to run this business. And um, am I still passionate about dance at all? You know, and I think that my purpose now has shifted from when I first opened my studio, I was all about like rigorous training and they will be high caliber and, you know, they will be excellent technicians and all of this. And now I've shifted to a place where I think my purpose and my mission is not to produce phenomenal dancers, but to help inspire people or train people to be more, um, resilient and versatile and mentally strong through the arts. And if they happen to come out the other side with amazing training, then that is also great. (laughs) And
2: that's (laughs) great. And that's great. But, but imagine you're take yourself out of the studio owner role and -hmm. put yourself in the patron role. Like you buy a hundred dollar ticket to go to the ballet and you sit there and everyone is mentally healthy, but (laughs) But it's not an
0: impressive show.
2: Yeah. Like, is that a risk? Is that, is that, is there, are they, is that a risk? And how do you find that balance where you can still create, um, you know, a high caliber of a performer without breaking them mentally. Because I, I'm, and again, I'm not trying to advocate for breaking
1: spirit. Um, so much to say to that. I think <laughs> we, I don't think there has to be an either or, meaning we cannot just have high performers that are really resilient and, and perform really great and they're broken inside or we have the spiritually aligned people, but they're not as a high performer, okay? I think we can combine it and the world has shown us that it's actually possible. There is so much that we haven't really taken into consideration from a training point of view because we are in the dance world really focusing on training the body over and over and over again until it becomes the master, okay? or we need to look at where this is actually coming from and how sustainable is it for the future? Like, let's look, when is the tipping point for dancers, for example? When are they cracking? When are they starting to get injured over and over and over again? At what age is that? We're not producing resilient dancers. We're not producing strong dancers. We're producing machines that Mm -hmm. are functioning at a certain point that are really good in their technique. And I have to say to that point, the responsibilities to our patrons and people that are coming into our theaters is to provide them with like an infusing emotion, something that they can relate to a story to tell. And as I, for me personally, I'd rather see two really clean, beautiful periods and have somebody expressing their soul, knowing who they are, knowing what it feels like to be loved or to have pain versus I've seen so many empty walls and shelves stay on stage, having their legs behind their ears and being tossed around and, you know, 500 pirouettes, but it doesn't give me anything. Like I leave. as I like, Oh, well, great. But it didn't touch me here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I think we can create both. We just have to ask the right question, understanding yeah. that it's not one or the other. It's the same as, you know, successful people work really hard. They're broken. Like they're mean power. Power means that you have to hurt somebody. We have made up these stories or these beliefs without yet asking, hey, what else is possible? Is this actually true? Do we have to continue our way this way? Um, So I I would say challenge, like what, what if, what if the dancers in my studio are really strong technically and really strong emotionally? And mind you, you can, if, if a dancer is, knows who they are, let's take Sylvie Guillam as an example. That woman knew exactly who she was. She knew exactly what she wanted. And she when, when you listen to her in interviews, she's like, yeah, I always took roles that are just a tiny bit outside of my comfort zone. She was known as Madame No meaning that she knew that knows a full sentence that whenever she didn't feel appreciated, or it did not align with her entirety, she said no. Mm -hmm. And I think that is a certain power that it is our responsibility to teach our younger generation to understand that you do not have to bend yourself until you break because you're worth it. You're worth you being you, you as a whole, and you may not fit this company, but maybe there's a company over here or over here, or it is your path, your purpose to create a school that will completely change the way we're teaching. Or 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 right, like we're we're assuming success with this one I'm a dead ordeal, and now I'm successful.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I think it comes
0: back to asking the right questions about the way that things have always been done and, and what needs to be shifted or adjusted. There's certainly plenty of things that we can keep with, you know, the traditions and the way that things have been done, but how can we supplement all of that? Or how can we shift the, you know, simple, simple things like your tone of voice or simple things like your, the, the words that you use or the questions that you ask um, or just asking questions of your dancers instead of saying like, oh, do this saying what would it be like if you tried it this way instead, you know, how to, how to, we just need, I think there's a shift that needs to happen in the dance education world.
1: I want to add something to, mm-hmm. um, when we're looking at all these big companies on how they created a very safe environment for their workers and how they, um, create with their people in in terms of hey what's working for you like is it four weeks is it five weeks a week uh five days a week um how can we make this the best institution now i understand that with schools it is our um as leaders our duty to figure it out out and that maybe a 13 year old will not give us all the answers however there's always something that we can listen to and take into and apply, even if it's showing us what way it won't work. You know, if we if we take all of the NLP and, and, and spiritual um, knowledge that's out there into consideration on how we can build a dancer, I, I think we would create actually stronger dancers, meaning that. What if they actually knew that today is not a great day for me? Like my body is just exhausted. I know exactly why that is. I know how to fix it. But it also means today I'm not going to push myself over Mm -hmm. that that certain barrier or that that point that maybe the teacher is expecting me to do um, because I'm actually harming myself. And I know right. that my 80% are still, even if I show up with like 70 or 80% on stage, that is still serving and, and, and giving the audience that's coming into the theater today something that they can nourish from.
0: Yeah, that's such a good point. I love that. Fabulous. Well, I think we we should wrap it up there. <laughs> Oh yeah. We, we did good. We did good. Yeah. Yay! Good job, everybody. <laughs> so Suzanne, we like to end every episode with a heart happy moment, just sharing something that sort of lit you up on the inside uh, recently. So Robin, do you have one? Yeah, mine's pretty basic. Um, winter has broke in uh, Florida and
2: it's now in the high seventies and <sighs> um, just sunshine makes me happy. So just that's my heart happy moment. The last couple of days have been warm and I've got the windows open and it's lovely.
0: Nice. Easy.
2: I'm easy to please. <laughs> Suzanne, how about you? What's your heart happy I
1: moment? That my happy moment. Oh my gosh. That is, that is a hard question to answer. <laughs> right? Because now I'm like, oh, which book? Um, uh, you know, I, I think I have one of those moments every day and that is when I look at my children and it's not because I'm their mother and I am supposed to love them it's because I broken the cycle for my family and how we treat each other and we're a true family and I'm so proud of that and that every day lights my soul up
2: that's
0: beautiful I love that that. is
1: beautiful that's (laughs) wonderful
0: yay thank
1: you
0: um, I think my heart happy moment is pretty simple too, but it's, it's so good. I had, um, on Monday, my four and five-year-old class and they are just so stinking cute. And they were just like being extra adorable this week and, or maybe it was my three-year-old anyway, it doesn't matter. One of my little ones, one of my little classes. And they just like one by one throughout the class kept on coming up to me and just giving me hugs. And then going back to their dot or going back to their place in line. I was like, do we, are we feeling like we need hugs today? Are we like, how are we doing? Does everybody need a hug? And they were like, yeah, (laughs) like everybody just like, give give me a big old hug pile. Let's go. It was just like the best.
2: Oh yeah. That's a, that's a great moment.
0: Yeah. It was awesome. It was so good. And I like, I I know there's, we don't have observation um, monitors anymore in the, in the lobby, but we do offer observation for parents via zoom. And so I knew that there were some parents watching and I was kind of a little bit worried in the moment of like, oh my God, are parents watching going to be concerned because we're too close together because of COVID like, oh God, is this, is this hug pile like too dangerous? And then after the class, so many parents were like, oh my God, that was the cutest thing I've ever seen. (laughs) So yeah, it was good. Well,
2: thank goodness that ended that way. And yes,
0: with I know.
2: Email that would have really deflated the moment.
1: Oh, totally, totally. Yeah. Especially low, right? Like, and yeah. a beautiful energy to put up there. Yeah, love it. Yeah, oh. oh, for
0: sure. It was great. It was great. And my assistant in that class was even like, oh my God, they were extra adorable today.
1: <laughs> they know, you know, sometimes they know what we all need.
0: Yeah. Oh, for sure. in and tuned in still. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah, definitely. All right. Well, Suzanne, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been lovely to chat with you and learn more about all the amazing things that you do. We appreciate it.
1: Oh my gosh. Are you kidding me? That was such a great conversation, thank you for letting me like blabber on for so long.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking great. forward to checking out your podcast point to rise. I'm going to check it
0: out today. Awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening. We will be back next week with another episode of the DSO Connect podcast, and we'll see you later. Bye. Bye everyone.